Hello everyone and welcome to the Slash Filmcast. I'm David Chen and with me are Vendra Hardawar and Jeff Kanata. Welcome to the show, everyone. Uh, you can find more episodes of this podcast at slashfilmcast.com. You can always email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. So uh, last few months, we've been kind of changing up the format a little bit, you know, doing some what we've been watching as a whole episode, doing some after darks and before darks and doing a review. Uh, we have decided for now, we're going to try to go back to the normal format, roughly, uh, because... Uh, no real reason, you know. There's nothing going on that changes anything in the world. So you know, we just uh, we just we're just being mercurial. This is how we are, you know. Can't be predicted. Who knows what we're we gonna do tomorrow? Yeah, I think that uh, there is a concern that like w- one of the things that has happened because uh, 18 weeks worth of news happens every 24 hours now is that some of the episodes we've recorded have sounded really out of date, even though we've recorded them only like two weeks ago. And things are changing so rapidly in terms of what's available on video on demand right now um, that it just didn't feel like at, at this point it made sense to to yeah. to do two weeks at a time. Now we might go back to that at some point in the future, but for now uh, this is going to be mostly a normal episode. So we got we're going to check in with everyone, see how everyone's doing right now. We got some what we've been watching for you, and then we're going to move on into an in-depth review of Portrait of a Lady on Fire with Valerie Complex joining us. The Portrait of a Lady on Fire streaming right now on Hulu, where you can check that out, and we would strongly encourage you to do that. Okay, so all that's... we went back to classic Coke, Dave. That's what we did. We we tried the new Coke for a while, and Mm. it, uh, you know, let's just go back to classic Coke. It seems safer. (laughs) So how how are you guys doing? Where it seems right now to be the most intense in the country is... New York City, right? Like this. Well, is... the last time we chatted, it was most intense in Seattle. That's right. And now, yeah, we've taken over. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, you what guys is it... have to compete about everything. Yeah. What is it like, Devinder, yeah. over there? How how are you doing? How are you holding up? You know, how are you? I wouldn't coping? know because I'm I'm not going outside. Basically, like it's the only thing we really can do is to stay inside, be very careful. Like maybe once a week, try to get some groceries. I have enough like supplies that we're good for a while. But you know, it's just not not going out, not going to the subway, you know, not, not really going anywhere. Occasionally if things are quiet, um, we will, there's like an Island of like grass in one of the quieter streets, uh, that, that I can go and Sophia can run around in, but yeah, you can't go to the park too many people in the park. I don't, I don't know why. Um, it's, it's not great. So yeah, just trying to survive. How is, how is Sophia handling it? She, I mean, she just doesn't know why she can't go to the park anymore. Yeah. And that's the sad thing. Like, I just want to, she was really happy, like, going there for an hour pretty much every day to play with the kids and run around. And she did, just started walking. So, yeah, now that she is ready to run, she can't, which really sucks. So, yeah, hopefully we, we don't know what's going to happen here in New York. We're just trying to hunker down for now. Yeah, it's it sounds genuinely frightening in new york and i'm i'm i worry about all my new york friends including yourself whenever i read the stories um because it really just does seem like it's pretty rough over there um it's not great and what's sadder is that there is no like there's no way to get out you know because then you you're potentially bringing you know contagion elsewhere yeah so yeah the only thing we can do is kind of wait and see if things clear up but if everybody actually stays home but unfortunately that's also not happening as much as you'd want. So I don't know. I saw an article in the New York Times about influencers, right? There's a bunch of influencers who, who have said that they're fleeing p- 
populated cities mm-hmm. and going to vacation spots. Spreading and the dirt. New York, yeah. New York Times just just naming and shaming, man. They're just like they're like going right at these influencers, you know, in in a way that uh, under normal circumstances I might find even <laughs> uncomfortable how directly I they're targeting. But it's like you know, it's in my opinion, it's, it's deserved. What they're doing. It's what they're doing. You yeah. should you shouldn't try to flee your city or go somewhere else at this point because a as you said Devendra you're potentially bringing germs elsewhere but also many people who flee to uh remote areas like those areas are not uh super equipped to handle something mm-hmm. like what we're going through right now so yep uh Jeff how are things in Los Angeles right now man well as of recording this today uh, we actually got some pretty good news all things considered relatively good news uh, about LA and and how um California in general, but LA specifically is, um, seems to be having fewer cases than was projected. Uh, and there was some poll that just came out that said 95% of Los Angelinos are taking this very seriously and, and mm. staying home. I don't know how one polls that, but, uh, it seemed fairly encouraging and it seems like our reported cases are, uh, are generally lower than, than what would you would expect for a population density of Los Angeles. Um, so I, I'm encouraged there, but, but I mean, on a personal level, it's just, uh, it's just more psychological, uh, tough than it is anything else. I mean, we, we, we just, the two young kids around, I, you know, I mm-hmm. feel for Defendra. That is, it, it's hard, man. It, it's hard explaining yeah. to your kids why they can't do the things that they like doing. It's, it's hard finding things to do with them. Um, and the days roll together. It's monotonous. I, I tweeted, uh, this week that, uh, this must be how Groundhog Day felt. You know, I have a renewed understanding of Bill Murray's character. It just feels like you wake up in the morning and it's just more of this, more, of, know, this. more of this. Yeah. Don't forget your booties. Cause it's cold outside. You know, it's, um, and, but you know, I'm not telling anybody anything they don't already know. It, it, it's just, uh, I I wish this you know I don't know there's a lot of wishes but if this could have happened when before I had kids I think I and my wife both would have uh-huh. handled this a lot better and it, it would be it, hundreds of times easier like yes. so much easier yeah yes yeah. so oh uh, I could just read books I could just maybe. watch movies huh. yeah. right now I'm like that Homer Simpson gif of him like vanishing into the bushes <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah sorry I don't mean to do that to you I, yeah, I, I, I don't want to hear your everyone, troubles but. Dave yeah <laughs> I think one of my favorite have you guys seen this meme uh i guess i should you know it's gonna lose the it's like trying to describe a a a comic or something like that but there's this meme of of uh mel gibson talking to jim caviezel on the set of uh passion of the christ have you seen this thing where it's like you know me trying to explain to my friends how it's like really difficult to uh like to bake during the time of uh coronavirus and it's like yeah. you know mel gibson is like dressed like a normal person and jim caviezel is like covered with blood because he's been brutally beaten <laughs> yes. you know? yeah. yeah yeah um that's how it feels when anyone tweets like how bored they are i'm like <laughs> i feel a lot of things boredom is not one of them you know <laughs> yeah. yeah so uh given all that uh, i am not gonna say anything about my experience <laughs> no i <laughs> Please don't. Please don't feel that way. No, but uh, I, I think that I wanted to check in with you guys because I do think um, it would be kind of perverse to just do the show without acknowledging all the stuff that's happening. Right? Like we don't need to spend the whole episode discussing it, but like it's. I do just want to hear how 
things are going and hopefully one day things will get better and we'll be able to go back to normal again. Um, I will say at this point from, from an uh, entertainment industry perspective, uh, a lot of things have changed. Um, I, I think we can safely say there will be no summer movie wage of this year um, because perhaps uh, the, the schedule, no has summer just, movies. <laughs> it, it, yeah, it's, uh, you know, at this, there's no mo- summer. Summer yeah. is, summer is canceled. <laughs> yeah. At this moment, it's not foreseeable uh, that, that I I will be in a situation in a couple months where I will feel comfortable going to the movie theater. You know, like that's me personally. I don't know about you guys, yeah. but like even if movie theaters open, I don't know that I would feel comfortable going back. Um, and for a few, several read, months, I, yeah, 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 I would be surprised if they open, but we'll see. Well, there were a few date changes recently. I don't know if you saw that Disney changed a bunch of its dates. Um, the biggest one being uh, Black Widow, right? So that moved uh, into November 6th. Um, and yeah. also Mulan has moved to July 24th. Th- that is a yeah. really optimistic time frame. That, that's Very saying optimistic. in three months, we're going to be comfortable going back to the theater to see Mulan. Yeah. Um, Meanwhile, Top Gun uh, has been moved to December 23rd. Yeah, so. of 2021. So, but that that the Mulan change is probably the biggest sign that Disney is betting on us all going back to the theater in July. I, at this point, who know who even knows what's behind the calculation? Like, I I don't know whether or not. I think. Yeah, go I ahead. Think all of that is just it's just it, it is as set in stone as you know the 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 price of candy on the moon. You know, it it is it is. <laughs> You know, we're, someday on the moon we'll sell candy, and it was going to be seven dollars. Oh, okay. Well, I, tell me when we get there. It, it is. I feel like yeah, you move the date to do to do something to put out news that the movie is actually going to come to theaters. There is absolutely no assurance that that is going to happen in any stretch of the imagination. Yeah. Yeah. And, and again, even if theaters open, like, are, are you? Do you guys feel like you would, you would go back to like, let's say. They in a couple of months they're like, hey, the worst is over. Theaters are back open. The economy's back. I mean, would you feel comfortable going into a movie theater? I just don't. I don't see it happening until we have way better testing. Um, mm-hmm. Potentially, like one of the things that's been interesting is this idea that some people might have developed antibody or antibodies and immunity to the virus, like after uh, after yeah, they get it yeah. and they survive, like they can't get it again. Maybe we don't know. We don't know that, um, but maybe... I think there were lots of people that have gotten it multiple times. Uh, again, I just I, it's not 100% clear right now, but point being, th- there's a possibility that there's some people out there who are resistant to it, and maybe there will become a way to detect who is resistant or not, and Italy is kind of playing with this right now, of like, maybe there, there's going to be some people who are like, th- become the chosen ones in a Gattaca-like society uh, where... They will they rule can... us like gods <laughs> down here, down here in the... Uh, on Gaia, but up in Elysium, <laughs> there will be the people who are susceptible and have the money to ascend. I mean, you you say it jokingly, but I, it's it, who knows, Jeff? Who knows what could happen? I mean, isn't it? It's it seems at least distinctly possible to me that there are some people who are resistant and then could go out into the world and like operate the society for us. Um, yeah, but that's I don't know. not a society. You can't op- Yeah, you can't operate the society without everybody. But you know, yeah. do like perform. I mean, you basically, ma- Dave, you realize you're you just told us the plot of Death Stranding, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, we need to connect. We'll all be Porter Bridges. <laughs> <laughs> 
it seems like it's possible that like something like that will happen. But again, who can even predict at this point is kind of the point you're saying, right? Um, so mm-hmm. in until any case... Until we know, yeah, until yeah. we can test and until there's a vaccine, like nothing is safe. So, yeah. yeah, that's right. That's right. So until then, we are going to keep recording this podcast from the comforts of our own home. Uh, so... I, I will say that, you know, speaking of lockdowns, let me just get into this before we uh, we dive into some other stuff we've been watching this week. Speaking of lockdowns, I had a chance to watch 21 Bridges this week. You guys heard of this movie, 21 Bridges? Chadwick mm-hmm. Boseman? Yes. Yes. Did I've you... seen that trailer. It looks like the Judgment Night of 2020. Yeah. Or 2019, <laughs> whenever it came out. Uh, I watched this movie with my wife, and she said this was the perfect movie to watch together because it's not it's not great. I would say it's barely even good. Um, It's probably not even good. Um, But it's not so terrible that you feel bad about yourself for watching it. It it is a a solid cop drama of the kind that they don't make anymore when they were still making these movies and putting them out in theaters. A good sit, you're saying. I wouldn't even say it's a good sit. It's like a decent (laughs) sit. But here is the problem. It's the kind of movie that they didn't make when they made movies (laughs) that went into theaters which we don't do, which we won't have, but they used to, but they didn't. <laughs> Correct. That's right. Well, they, they, made, they made them pretty rarely. And um, so, the, first of all, the idea behind the, the movie, the plot, is that there are these cop killers on the loose. And in order for Chadwick Boseman to find them, he's got to lock down all of the 21 bridges in Manhattan mm. uh, to prevent them from escaping. A lot of bridges. It's a lot of bridges. I mean, one of the most hilarious things about this movie is that the movie used to be called 17 Bridges. And then they (laughs) discovered that there were actually four additional bridges. And they made it into. I'm not. I'm 100% serious. 100% serious. I hate it when you lose a bridge, it's hugely (laughs) inconvenient. Um, Apparently, I think 21 Bridges, it's only 21 if you count the foot bridges in in Manhattan as well. Uh, That's not fair. Okay. And. and, Uh, but here's what I'm going to say is the biggest flaw of the film is despite the movie being called 21 Bridges, <laughs> shockingly little time in the movie is spent on the bridges, right? I, I mean, they, 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 I would say literally 60 seconds of the movie is spent discussing the bridges, showing the bridges, the implications of the bridges. If you're tuning into this movie for bridges, prepare yeah. for disappointment is what you're saying. Well, if you uh, if you saw the title and was like, "Oh, I'm in for some bridges." <laughs> that's absolutely that's, correct. I mean, oh, Jeff, man. you're saying, but I mean, it's called 21 Bridges. I don't think it's unreasonable to expect. If you were like, of... if you're like, "Hey Siri, give me the movie with the most bridges," it would be, you know, the fabulous Baker Boys, and then this, right? And <laughs> <laughs> the two canonical movies about bridges. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, and then you're like, sweet, I'm going to hunker down. What? The 21 of the 21 bridges. Okay. I mean, it, dude, this is going to be like wall to wall bridges. Okay. Because, because Jeff, a person in that situation would think bridge of spies, too few bridges, bridge on the mm-hmm. river quite too few bridges. Bridges, bridges, bridges of Madison County. Okay. That's more than, than bridges. Plural spies. bridges. We at least got plural. It's plural, but it's still not that many bridges. Unfortunately, bridge to Terabithia. I don't even know if that's actually a literal physical bridge. Um, <laughs> so they're like, none of the, all those movies are shit. I need a movie that has 21 bridges, right? Yeah. Not yeah. 17 bridges, I'm, which is what this movie I'm used to be called. I'm guaranteed. Like, you know, divide 
the running time of the movie <laughs> by the number of bridges, I'm guaranteed a sweet number of bridges per minute, you know, BPMs, yes. right? <laughs> That's good. You would think, you would think that, but then you watch 21 bridges and bridges are barely mentioned. I mean, you would, you just, you just would think that they would devote some quantity of time to figuring out, Hey, how could this cop who, by the way, played by Chadwick Boseman is not exactly on the up and up. He, he's described in plot summaries and log lines <laughs> as a disgraced cop. So how could this one cop command the clout to shut down all 21 bridges. You'd think that the movie would explore that to some capacity. It does not. It does you not. know what? I will say, what, you know, we'll be talking about Portrait of a Lady on Fire uh, mm-hmm. later, but there's one thing it, it, it fucking delivers on. Portraits, <laughs> ladies, and fire. All That's three correct. of them, near constant. One of those three things is on screen all the time in that movie. <laughs> <laughs> 21 Bridges, I can think of at least one thing wrong with that title, uh, which is that you'd think that... I I mean, I am convinced that the writers of this film finished writing the script of this this film and then could not figure out what to name it and just thought to themselves, what is in this movie that is somewhat unique? I've I've got it uh, one or two mentions of Bridges. (laughs) <laughs> that, that is literally what I think the, the, the thought process was. And one point. or two mentions of Bridges did not roll off the tongue. <laughs> <laughs> it's, true, it's true that many cop films have kind of generic names, right? Mm. Like Training Day or uh, Den of Thieves or Heat, mm. right? Like there, there's not uh, – what was that one, that Brooklyn one, Brooklyn cop movie? Um, Brooklyn's Finest. There's another cop movie, mm. right? Yeah. So these are these are very generic names. So they're they're thinking to themselves, okay, we don't want to go too generic, you know. We don't want to go like, um, <laughs> a disgraced cop chases down cop killers <laughs> as the title of the film. Yeah, we got to go with the thing that makes this movie unique, which is that on two to three occasions, bridges <laughs> are mentioned. Okay, you guys good? <laughs> <laughs> you can you can pair this movie up with 16 blocks how about that indeed oh indeed yeah i'm really glad i get to tell you about our next sponsor because it is probably the best sponsor we could have right now in this tumultuous time i was so pleased to even find out this service exists right now it's i think useful anytime but particularly these days with so much stress and anxiety in our lives i'm talking about better help. That's better H E L P help. Better help matches you with your own licensed professional therapist. And then you can start communicating in less than 24 hours. This is not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It's professional counseling done securely online. Wow. What a perfect thing for this time in our lives right now where, you know, it probably, for me, it would take a lot to go physically to a therapist anyway, but now we can't, we shouldn't be leaving our homes, but we're probably dealing, I certainly am, with much more stress and anxiety than I ever have before. I actually gifted better help to my wife who has really been taking on a lot of of stress and uh, has been feeling the weight of our times uh, with our children and just stressing out over 
you know, continued existence during, during the crisis. And I felt like, man, it would be wonderful if she could speak to someone who is professional, who could help her out. So we did. She signed up. It's so simple. Uh, it's available worldwide. And there's a broad range of expertise available. In fact, it's really great when you sign up, it, you go through this, this questionnaire that doesn't take too long to, to fill out, but really narrows in on what the best kind of professional therapist you should be talking to, what kind of issues you're going through right now. And so my wife was able to quickly and easily set up an appointment. You can, you can message someone right there in the BetterHelp service. It happens very, very fast. And you don't have to worry about, you know, looking at Yelp reviews, finding the right person, figuring out what kind of therapist you want. Is there someone in your area that you can go to? BetterHelp handles all that for you. They match you with a great person. You can set up an appointment. It appears as a calendar invite automatically. You can start living a happier life today. Plus, it's more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. So I can imagine there's a lot of you listening that could use this. Uh, my wife certainly could use it. She's really been grateful to have someone to talk to that is professional, that can do it online and work around her schedule. It's pretty awesome. Uh, they make it easy and free to change counselors if you want. Also, it's great. Uh, I'm going to do it myself. The best part is when you visit betterhelp.com slash filmcast, that's better H-E-L-P, and join the over 800,000 people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. When you do that, you can take advantage of our special offer. Slash filmcast listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash filmcast. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash filmcast, F-I-L-M-C-A-S-T. Visit their website, betterhelp.com slash reviews, and read the testimonials from people. Uh, I think this is a, the perfect time for us to all think about our own mental health and do something that can really help. All right, let's move on to what else we're we watching. Davindra, I think you have what's called uh, a blood oath against this new service called Quibi. I just, yeah. want to, I just want you to know that I literally have no concept of what 21 Bridges is about. <laughs> we talked for about it for so long, and I have no yeah. concept of you, what you're you reviewing. Great job movie. there. Great job. <laughs> Sorry, go um, ahead, Davinja. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm, I'm trapped in my house with a baby, my wife, and Quibi. So that's uh, that's that's been my my last week. That sounds basically. like a Black Mirror episode. Yeah, yeah. Quibi. Uh, yeah, I, I'm trapped in here with Quibi. I guess I don't know. Watchmen, something, something. Quibi is Jeffrey Katzenberg's uh, short mobile video startup thing. It is. It's not good. So, it's kind so of a mess. Let, let's yeah. let's review a couple of like fast facts about it. Quibi is on your phone only. Right. Only. Yeah. iPhone uh, or Android. You yeah. cannot. You cannot cast it to any other. You device. cannot cast How your. How dare you even cast. want to? How dare <laughs> yeah. you even think that? Who um, does that? And yeah. it's uh, it's just launched, and you can get a 90-day free trial. At least when I signed up, you get a 90-day free trial. Yeah, I don't know if, that's if you, true you just try it out in April, you'll get 90 days free. So you can go, go yeah. check it out. But it is this and, is something I've been following for a while. It is it's a huge mess. And the idea is that every day the there's new episodes of shows that are on Quibi, and each episode is in a bite-sized piece. It's about 10 minutes long, and you can watch it on your phone. It's more like six. 
uh yeah six it can ten be minutes between five to ten five no more to ten, than ten minutes, minutes right yeah. and uh one of the key features of this uh service is that you can watch every show in different aspect ratios so you watch a show in portrait mode and then you turn it over and instantly instantly it flips to landscape like no, uh, no, like there's no you lag. You can go back and forth as much as you want. It well, uses yeah. the audio yes, track to kind of synchronize it all. But yeah, you can you can do that with any video on your phone. But the difference here is that the movie has actually been, or the yeah. show has actually been produced twice, one for each of those aspects. Not, not only has it produced, so it's not just yeah. So theoretically, the show was take advantage of that. But not only that, right. to to make this technology work, it's literally streaming both versions to your phone yes. simultaneously. So uh, th- that's why that's why there's no lag when you switch it over. It's actually a different version of the video you're watching, uh, which is not too great on the bandwidth. But uh, <laughs> I will say the effect is actually quite uh, seamless. Like when you t- t- you don't want to be streaming uh, you want to be streaming an entire movie's worth of data that you aren't watching to your phone. What do you mean? Uh, yeah, I, it's a good question. It's a good question. Okay, all that said, so that's kind of what what the the pitch for this this uh, service is. But what's the content like, Devendra? You and I have both watched a couple shows on Quibi. What do you think? It's uh, it's not great. I, I don't think there's like I, I've watched several shows, and some of them are outright baffling. I don't think there's anything. There's like no must-watch TV on this, and some of them are fine, but like no worse than what you'd see on something like Netflix or Hulu, right? There's nothing that really stands out here. I will tell you, I uh, I saw uh, what was the the cooking the cooking show. Whose name I'm uh, not remembering right you, now. You know, I literally watched yeah. that show right yes. before we started recording, and I also cannot remember the name. Dishmantle, <laughs> dishmantle. So the premise of the show is insane because it's a it's a cooking show, quote unquote cooking show, hosted by Titus Burgess. Uh, it is um, they put blindfolded chefs in like a, a booth, they explode food on them. Uh, <laughs> Then they have to crawl around the floor and like eat the food off the floor and the walls to figure out what the food, what the dish is, and then they rush to like cook it within thirty minutes. And that, they try that's to the recreate show. the dish that yeah. they've eaten off the wall, right? Yeah, that's mm. the show. Every episode's about like five or six minutes. It is, it is like watching an episode of Chopped at an, a super speed race, but it's also like. It, it reminds me of those like Japanese game shows where they're just like out there to embarrass all the contestants too and like humiliate them in many ways. Like it is, it's weird. It's not entertaining, and all the guests just seem like drunk and very unsure of why they're there. It's a very confusing thing. Uh, I watched Chrissy's Court, Chrissy Teigen's show. Well, it, it is, is, let's go back to that yeah, dismantle. Yeah. I mean, I read your review of it, and I think you're right that exploding food during a time when. Um, Yep. people are going to be struggling economically is not super great. But also the whole That's thing, very much like The Masked Singer, has a very fall of the Roman Empire feel to it, <laughs> I will say. so I could at least see the appeal of Masked Singer. Sure, fine, why not? It doesn't doesn't really hurt anybody. You're not wasting resources, you know? Whereas, yeah, Dishmantle <laughs> is like, here, everybody waiting hours in line to you know go buy groceries for your family so you don't die during the corona pandemic. Uh, watch people explode food. And yeah, crawl around the floor to eat it. So what uh, you're saying, Devendra, is you do not volunteer as tribute. I do not. I do. So you watch you watch Chrissy uh, Teigen's court show. I watch Chrissy's court, and even like by the standards of daytime TV court shows, it is super dumb and not entertaining. Like those, like 
court shows in general don't have very serious cases. This is even less serious. And it's clearly like people who are really chomping at the bit to be on the show because they want to be on something with Chrissy Teigen and uh, maybe John Legend will appear. And that's kind of it. It is. It's not entertaining. It's not funny. It's just weird. It feels like a lot of people jumped on board with Quibi because they're like, well, we have one point seven five billion dollars. We'll just pay you to do, you know, whatever you want. Uh, and I think a lot of people just took that offer. So, yeah, the the service is not great. It's five bucks a month with ads, eight dollars a month without ads. It is that, that is that is a thing that I just think is unbelievable. Same. Like, I, I just don't know anyone who's like because you can you can get a lot of things for five dollars a month, you know, you in, in terms of what's yeah. out there right now. Especially in the year 2020, like you can get so much. YouTube is free. In the year YouTube of our Lord, there. 2020. It's yeah. an infinite supply of content. That's YouTube. You can watch that on your phones and on your TVs. Amazing. Uh, so, yeah, I think the biggest problem with this is you can't you can't share this stuff to your TV. So my wife and I had to crowd around my phone to, you know, watch a couple episodes of something. And that seemed really inconvenient with our, you know, nice big just, TV just, just I, sitting right there. I'll just so say dumb. it sounds like one of the most depressing things ever to, like, gather around the phone and watch a Quibi together. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It is well, I very think the depressing. concept is that it, it's not meant for multiple people to watch. Yeah, it's, it's, it's meant not. for per- you know the whole idea is that it like replaces Twitter yeah. for you, or, or it's, it's, it's supposed it's to be about what standing you watch, in line and what, yeah, what, on the go while you're commuting or something like that. Which of course, um, we're not very, very few people are commuting right now. Some people are, but like very few, a lot more people are not commuting these days. And so, and the people who are commuting are likely. You know, first responders. Yeah, they're, yeah, they're, they're not necessarily going to want to watch a quick exploding food show. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's so yeah, kind of, kind of a disappointment. I mean, I, I was not expecting much. I talked about Quibi when I was coming out of CES, and the turnstile stuff, the aspect ratio flip is cool, but the service as a whole, I think mobile video is just it's a mobile video only is a dumb idea as a service because we want to watch our stuff everywhere. We want to be watching our stuff and, you know, chatting with our friends. We want to watch our stuff and go look up IMDb pages or something. You cannot, you can't do that while you're just watching one thing on your phone. So yeah, it doesn't really fit to where we are as a society. Many of the shows feel like they are uh, parodies of shows from BoJack Horseman Uh or 30 Rock uh, I'll just read a couple of descriptions of shows here. Um, so there's Dishmantled, uh, which you already talked about. Take two blindfolded chef contestants, blast a dish into their face, then make them recreate <laughs> it for celebrity judges, judges to win a cash prize. Did we mention it's hosted by Titus Burgess? New episodes every weekday. Okay, so that's Dishmantled. Uh, so it sounds like a Saturday Night Live sketch. Murder House Flip. Yep. An unconventional home renovation show that takes on the country's most infamous homes, ones known for the mysterious murders within their walls. Designers Joel and Mikkel remove the stains of the past and make once morbid <laughs> homes marvelous. Also an SNL skit. Yeah, completely. Yeah, it really is. Uh, let's just do one yeah. more of these things. Um, uh, okay. <laughs> There, there's uh, the one where they, she, by the way, where their celebrities go around and just like give a hundred thousand dollars to people. That's uh, it. Yeah. That's the show. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks a million. Big names, big money, big giving. Celebrities kickstart a chain of kindness, each gifting a hundred thousand dollars to an unsuspecting individual who has had a positive impact on their lives with a catch. Watch as the pay it forward chain unfolds. I wonder what that catch is, Devinder. What's the catch? Your blood. Uh, yeah, it's some Twilight Zone thing. It's not great. Uh, and then there's one that's like, uh, here's one. Um, 
gone mental with Lior. Is it possible to read another person's thoughts? Mentalist Lior Suchard thinks so, and he's about to stun celebrities and passerby alike with his mind-reading prowess. Okay, I would watch that one, actually. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, there's also, like, Most Dangerous Game, which is, you know, a remake of, of that book and, you know, those earlier movies. And it stars Liam Hemsworth and Christoph Waltz. And it's, like, something I'd want to watch. I don't want to watch it in like seven minute chapters only on my phone because it looks like a halfway decent action thriller. So yeah, they're really blowing it out of the park here. All right. I, uh, <laughs> I was, I was on a show called cord killers this afternoon with uh, Brian Brushwood and Tom Merritt and oh, yeah. we were talking, talking about Quibi and, uh, I compared it to, you guys remember when like a few years ago, several years ago now, I, I guess when, you know, uh, every email felt like a, a a new thing that everybody was having to do. And there were places that were like, Hey, we will email you chapters of a novel every day <laughs> yeah, because you're yeah. reading your email anyway. Don't you want to use that time to read a <laughs> novel? And people were like, yeah, that makes totally sense. Total sense. I was, I, I read, I read my emails every day. This is perfect. How great is this? And then you realize, Oh no, that isn't how I want to experience a novel at all. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's exactly what's happening with Quibi. It's like, well, just you got six minutes. You can just watch six minutes of this awesome show. It's like n- <laughs> no one wants to do that. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. it's amazing. I will tell you, I did a uh, if you go look at the archives of the Engadget podcast, I sat down with Jeffrey Katzenberg and Meg Whitman, uh, Quibi CEO, to talk about this thing. It is so I, I brought up, I was like, who would want this when you have like Netflix and Hulu? And they're like, well, we see ourselves as like a third option when you're out and about. You just want like a quick bite of content, quick bite. No, they, they said that yeah. they're, they're, uh, their competition, they don't consider their competition Hulu yeah. and Netflix. They consider their competition TikTok. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's great. like, oh, this, this yeah. dumb thing that it's going to, it's going to make me giggle for a couple of seconds while I'm standing in line. It's like TikTok and Instagram are their competition, not not actual things, but then it's like, well, then why is the content yeah. actual things broken up into TikTok yeah. length? It's weird. It does not work. All right. Well, that's Quibi. It's available. Right go check now. out my review. I, th- I think my, f- I, I put a lot of like rage into my review. It engaged. Yes, so go read that. A lot of rage. Yeah. All right. Um, so Devendra, you want to run through what else you've been watching this week? <laughs> I'll, I'll um, skip my yeah. stuff. Cause we got, we're running okay. out of time here, but. Just just briefly, uh, I've been watching Tales from the Loop on Amazon Prime, and uh, this is based on the uh, was it the uh, paintings, the imageries, or the illustrations of Simon Stalhag? Is it uh, those like you've seen them shared around the internet? It is stuff of like you know Norwegian countryside with a robot or something futuristic in it, and this is an Amazon series uh, written by Nathaniel Halpern. Uh, that tries to build a story around that. Apparently, there was a story around those. There, there are like RPG books and other things. This show is not really touching that at all. But uh, I'm, I'm kind of glad because I think the show is fantastic. It is a kind of like slow moving look at humanity and people's lives and how they're affected by this miraculous reality they're living in. Um, you know, they're they're living in a town where there is this thing called the loop it is a mysterious underground laboratory where we don't quite know what is happening but it's it it is like bending the shape of reality at times every episode kind of focuses on a different character but it also builds out uh, like these are all people you see in every episode but they all focus on different people and i think uh it's i've seen three episodes so far I think it's fantastic because it doesn't really focus on the tech or the mysterious stuff. It focuses on like what would happen if like 
your mother and your house disappeared from the face of the earth, what would you do if you were an eight-year-old child? How would you react to that? How would you, you know, go on? It is things like that. It's like it's sometimes a little sad and sometimes a little, you know, melancholy. But I'm really, I find it really affecting and certainly much more effective than uh, Apple TV Plus's um, what was it, Amazing Stories. Amazing Stories. That it is that show. I could, I can barely watch those episodes because it doesn't, it doesn't feel amazing at all. So go check out Tales from the Loop. I really dig it. Uh, the first episode is directed by Mark Romanek, and it has like that vibe of his uh, of uh, Never Let Me Go, which I thought was an, an astounding movie. So yeah, very cool, uh, cerebral sci-fi with a dose of humanity to it. All right, uh, Jeff, yeah. I'm going to ask you about WrestleMania. Because this is something oh my you God. want to talk about. I thought you never would, Dave. I, oh, I had no idea that we were going to talk about this. Dave just brought it up, and I just, just <laughs> flabbergasted that you would want to talk about WrestleMania. I'm so glad that we can talk about WrestleMania. Um, yeah, so, I, you know, so I, I heard year, through the grapevine that like WrestleMania was pretty interesting because of the fact that we're all under this uh, lockdown right now. Dude, it was bonkers. Bonkers. <laughs> So once a year on the Slash Filmcast, I get to sort of come out of the wrestling closet and, and talk about how I've watched wrestling my whole life and I keep up with it. And, uh, you know, I don't watch it as much as I used to, but I definitely n- never miss a WrestleMania. This year, of course, we're in a weird situation and all sports are canceled, except for some reason, WrestleMania decided to keep going. Or, or Actually, WWE in total has kept going. Raw and SmackDown are continuing. And they're performing to empty auditoriums and wrestlemania which is the showcase of the immortals the grandest stage of them all the big spectacle their super bowl they continued to do they put it out in fact they expanded it into two nights instead of one event it was over the course of an entire weekend a saturday and sunday they added a second day uh after the the covid re-analysis of what it would be and it was, it is a, an extraordinary bit of history that, that I watched. I, I, I mean, this is the 36th WrestleMania, I believe. And I, the thing I, I tweeted, it, it was like if they decided to do the Super Bowl, except they were going to do it in a high school gymnasium. <laughs> that is, you know how the Super Bowl is all about size and scale and spectacle and jets flying over and and halftime show and uh, pyrotechnics and all that stuff is part of what the Super Bowl experience is. Except now it's in a high school gymnasium and there's no people there. That that is what WrestleMania was this year. It, it was an empty room with Rob Gronkowski standing in the corner cheering uh, and wrestlers fighting each other in a ring in an empty room and so were they still kind of like gesturing to the audience that was not there like did they pretend that there was an audience they still did their ring entrances with her which are all built to jazz up the crowd and they often have choreographed little movements and gestures that they stuck with but none of the pyrotechnics were there because they're in this tiny little room um, so all of that, that had to be changed. Like Goldberg comes out with fireworks hitting him and stuff. None of that happened. They did some smoke, but that was it. Um, it, 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 it was sad and weird. So let me just back up for a second and say, one of the reasons that I love wrestling genuinely love it is that it is this 
incredible combination of a live stunt show and an interactive storytelling medium that truly, truly incorporates an audience into how the story unfolds. It is, it is a true give and take between the performers and the crowd hive mind. It is chance and signs and back and forth call and response and the way people boo or cheer affects the stories going forward. And it is a, it is a, it is as close to, you know, the, um, the Greek Coliseum as we have now, it, it is, it is about the audience as much as it is about the, the participants. And there's a beautiful thing in that. Uh, I find it is an extraordinary thing to see that symbiosis take place. And it happens at scale, right? It doesn't happen because it's a room of, of 200 people or 20 people. It happens because it's a, a stadium of 80,000 or, you know, smaller in, in other venues, but it's a large group of people. And when you literally subtract that element, an element that I think is a fundamental pedestal of what this art form or sport or whatever piece of entertainment is, it becomes surreal surreal and they didn't do anything with the audio they just opened the mics and let you hear the wrestlers talk to each other it's which like they garfield do. without garfield it almost sounds yes, like except right. yeah great great analogy it it is they they are talking to each other throughout the match anyway and shouting and sometimes you'll hear like the when they particularly shout loud over the crowd or something but this was like every tiny breath and every small utterance was amplified a thousand times. You could hear the ref talking to them and it was so weird. And there were matches. There's a, um, a, a ladder match in this WrestleMania that I think in another context, the, the athleticism of it would, I think have been one of the highlights of, of any WrestleMania. Were there an audience there to cheer and gasp and, uh, chant and, and support the, the players because what they were doing was extraordinary, but it just felt empty and hollow and, and weird. Okay. Now I tell you all of that to tell you that in the midst of this, there were two matches, one on the first night and one on the second night that were utterly transcendent and justify anybody who's curious spending the 10 bucks on WWE.com to watch just in and of themselves. If you are an, a wrestling fan at all, the first night there was a match with the undertaker against AJ styles and out of nowhere, they decided to make this match a boneyard match, which is a phrase that has no meaning, but basically <laughs> meant that they, instead of, doing this wrestling match in a ring in that small, sad little room that they did the rest of WrestleMania in, they took a camera crew and went out to an abandoned like construction site. It looked like, and had a match where one character was going to bury alive. Another one, the winner of the match had to bury alive the other one, which is consistent with this undertaker character. Who's been around for 30 years in the WWE. <laughs> Uh, he's a very old man. And th the storyline of this is a whole other layer of extraordinary because here's this character that has been 
this mythical undertaker guy and he's had other personas too, but it has been very much this persona. And then the storyline leading up to it is that AJ Styles has been like, no, you're just an old guy who won't retire. And he keeps calling him Mark, which is his real name, which no one calls him anyway. So that, that's a whole other layer. But so what they basically created was this little like cinematic action sequence in the, in the, in the, in the middle of this room and it was all pre-shot and it was lit weird. It was lit by like uh, car headlights and they went up on the roof of buildings and were fighting. And then like other people appeared in robes and it was, it was like a full on action sequence from a movie, but shot in a way that's, or I mean um, executed in a way that's more like a wrestling match where they're, you know, it's, it's, I felt like they could have actually leaned into the moviness of it more and had <laughs> broken it down and shot it like an action sequence in a film. But By no, way, I, I, I have been waiting for wrestling to go full on. Uh, what what it, what is the the Carpenter movie I'm thinking of now? Uh, With Halloween? No, no, no. Uh, my my brain. They live. Go full on. They live. Like just let's oh. just have like a fight in the street that's like, you know, as choreographed, but done in the wrestling style, right? Yeah. I mean, that's basically what this was. And I feel like yeah. if they lean into this, if this, you know, if our situation continues many months, I think they should lean into this, this sort of cinematic idea. And like, there's, there's literally no reason to be in a ring. The whole idea of a ring is to put it in front of a live audience. That's the only reason you have a ring is so <laughs> people can be on four sides of it and watch and cheer. Like why even if you're just yeah. going to have a, a show about people fighting each other, just do it anywhere. Who, who cares? You're asking for fighting game stages, Jeff. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. God, yeah. that's such a good idea. Okay. <laughs> so now I told you all of that stuff to tell you about the m match on the second night, which was the John Cena Bray Wyatt match. Yeah. This is the one I heard about on social media. This is so crazy, crazy. So, Everybody knows who John Cena is. He's ha now has a Hollywood acting career. He is the sort of the golden boy of the WWE for a long time. I've been a big John Cena fan, unironically, for many, many years. I've never not liked him. But he was sort of a uh, – because he was such a good guy and they pushed him so hard and he was the face of the company, a lot of fans kind of turned on him for a while. And there was this whole scene, John, you know, Cena sucks and uh, let's go Cena, Cena sucks, back and forth in the audience, right? So anyway, he's had a – a very interesting career, a long lasting career. He's been the top guy in the company for, for many, many years. He also has the world record for, um, most make a wishes. He's a very decent man. It seems by all indications. Um, anyway, and this Bray Wyatt character is this kind of psychological, crazy person character. He, for a while, has like supposed to be the leader of a cult, you know, in the story of the wrestling world. But he has now turned into this weird, like, um, psycho clown kind of idea. And he has a, <laughs> a, like a children's show that's a horror thing. It's, it's very creepy. You know, he's got puppets that are super creepy. And it, he's like, <laughs> you know, more than happy. He's like, this is where I'm the most real. And, you know, it, it's like psychological war games. And, and creepy in its own right, but weird. Well, the match, <laughs> it decided to make this match a quote-unquote Firefly Funhouse match. This Firefly Funhouse is Bray Wyatt's children's show. So it starts with John Cena making his usual entrance, coming down to the sad, empty room where WrestleMania was taking place. And then Bray Wyatt's music hits. And all of a sudden, John Cena is transported 
through the power of of the cinema into this funhouse place. And that's when shit got weird. All of a sudden, you're stepping back through all of the personas of John Cena. Bray Wyatt says, I found the ultimate opponent for you, and it's you. And so they have John Cena dressing up like himself from 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. They have old sets from the way that WWF used to be shown on TV in the 80s and in the 90s and how WWE was like the first SmackDown set. And they have him doing impressions of Hollywood Hogan from WCW, from the NWO. And it's like they're stepping through the history of wrestling and making John Cena kind of go insane by fighting uh, this idea of himself and unable to break away from all these anxieties that he had about who he was and what he meant to wrestling. It, it was extraordinary. I mean, it felt like a love letter to anybody that loves wrestling there. You know, they've called wrestling fans marks for a long time. And then people who kind of follow the industry and get really into the backstage drama of it all, call themselves smarks, which is like a smart mark, right? So you're, you're in, you, you definitely cheer when you're supposed to cheer and boo when you're supposed to boo, but you also know the meta, you understand the meta game that's going on. And you're like, yeah, they want me to do this. So I'm doing it. And that's kind of how I am. This was all about those people. This was like a love letter to the smarks. It was, Hey, all of these things you've you've had in your head, Eric Bischoff and and uh, Vince McMahon and all of these things, all the backstage feelings about John Cena and how he's pushed more than anybody else and who he was and his old rapper person personality who had thugonomics and all these. It was like this 20 minute short film that like dismantled all of that stuff and deconstructed it and then put it all back together. I've never seen the WWE do anything like it. And it was crazy and cool and different. And I don't think it would have happened in any other situation if they hadn't had to kind of think outside the box yeah. for COVID. Maybe they had a concept like this anyway. I doubt it. But kudos to them for just like going there and making something really cool and really different. All right. Well, that's WrestleMania. And... It is available right now at www.com, and apparently you can get a free month trial. So theoretically, anyone can watch it for free if they want to, which is something. Yeah, and then it's only it's only ten bucks a month after that. But I, I mean, I don't know what the product is going to be going forward. I mean, they have right. They're not slowing down their full slate of pay per views. They have a pay per view every month. But this i this idea of them doing it to an empty room is real. It's really not what this thing is, in my opinion, not what it is. But if they lean into this like prepackaged thing it could evolve into something really interesting all right uh well again wrestlemania check it out at wwe.com and i think i already mentioned uh davindra's uh mentioned tales from the loop which you can stream right now at prime video hey guys sorry to interrupt but i wanted to talk to you about feels now there may be a few reasons that you may be experiencing stress or anxiety right now you know take your pick I've found Feels to be a really good solution for helping me feel a little better during all the mess we're dealing with right now. So Feels is CBD that's delivered right to your doorstep. It's premium CBD. I'm used to going to the corner store or something and picking up whatever is there or at the bodega. 
You never know what the quality is there. Feels is good stuff. I've tried it before. It helps you naturally reduce stress, anxiety, pain, and sleeplessness. I really like to take it when I'm going on flights, which I guess we're not doing so much anymore. Now it's just to help me get some sleep and deal with the day-to-day. It's pretty easy to take. Uh, You just have to place a few drops of feels under your tongue, and you'll notice a difference pretty quickly. And I think what's really cool is that they also give you different ways of choosing your right dosage. There's a flight that you can get to try different amounts. You can order different amounts. Uh, They also offer a free CBD hotline to help you guide your experience. And I think the best thing is that it's just, uh, it's natural. Helps you feel better without any high hangover or addiction. So join the Feels community and get Feels delivered right to your doorstep every month. You'll save money on every order and you can pause or cancel at any time. And I'll just mention something that Feels says on their website. Representations regarding the efficacy and safety of Feels have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. The FDA only evaluates foods and drugs, not supplements like this product. This product is not intended to diagnose, prevent, treat, or cure any disease. If you have any questions, as always, talk to your doctor. Feels has me feeling my best every day, and I think it could help you too. Become a member today by going to feels.com slash filmcast, and you'll get 50% off your first order with free shipping. That's F-E-A-L-S dot com slash filmcast, that's the character slash, to become a member and get 50% off your first order with free shipping. Feels.com slash filmcast. Before we move on, gotta thank some people who donated to the podcast. Thanks so much to donors... Jennifer Plaggy, uh, or Plag, or Plage? I'm not 100% sure how to pronounce that. PJ Endler, Louise from Copenhagen, Denmark, Mesfin Mibrate, Mesfin Mibrate, Emma Muller, or Mueller, Albert Ho from Hong Kong, who had a very generous donation. Also, Miriam Waldvogel for her very generous donation as well. Thank you guys so much for donating. Thanks also to new subscribing donors, Mike Tagliarini and David Larson, for subscribing at the rate of $2 per month. If you want to support the Slash Filmcast and what we're doing during these times, you can always go to paypal.me slash filmcast. That's paypal.me slash the word filmcast. Send a donation there. Also, uh, you can go to slashfilm.com. Click on the Slash Filmcast tab. Use the PayPal links on the side of the page. It is a time of need for everyone, and so please do not donate if it in any way causes you hardship at all. Uh, this is certainly a time when we understand people uh, you know, doing what they need to do to get by. And so do not donate if it in any way causes you hardship. If you want to support the show for free, super easy way to do that. Go to Apple Podcasts right now. Take five seconds. Leave a star rating. Leave a review for us. It really does help. Let's move on to our review of Portrait of a Lady on Fire. L'homme intéressé par ma fille est Milanais. Nous partons là-bas si le portrait lui plaît. Il a épuisé déjà un peintre avant vous. Que s'est-il passé Je ne sais pas. Il vous attend. That was from the trailer of Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Uh, And I'm going to read the plot summary of this movie from IMDb. 
On an isolated island in Brittany at the end of the 18th century, a female painter is obliged to paint a wedding portrait of a young woman. Joining us today for our review and discussion of Portrait of Lady on Fire, she is a writer whose work has appeared in Collider, Variety, and The Playlist. You can also find her work at ValerieComplex.com. Valerie Complex, welcome back to the Slice Filmcast. How are you doing, Valerie? What's up? How are you doing? Thanks for having me back. I remember our Midsommar episode fondly. Same, same. And uh, I, I believe you are uh, recording from a closet today yes uh, which is i'm trapped in the closet no i'm in the closet <laughs> and um uh to get some to get some uh some quiet and because i'm staying with my military buddy and so we're sharing a one bedroom it's i was gonna say you, you you take social uh social isolation very seriously social <laughs> to another level um, yeah. But it's, uh, I actually think it's its extremely professional because like many people don't think about it, but a closet's one of the mm-hmm. best places to record. That is where pros record. Yeah, that's where pros travel. record because yeah. there's all those clothes to, to uh, absorb the sound. Mm-hmm. So we really appreciate you uh, making that sacrifice for us. And, and no, no monsters. <laughs> no, no monsters. Yeah, no uh, monsters, the monsters no are, are coming artillery. from outside the house these days. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's right, true, and they're invisible, and everyone's breathing them. Yeah, yeah. indeed. <laughs> uh, so, Valerie, so glad to have you on to discuss Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Um, this is a movie that is currently streaming on Hulu right now. And uh, why don't you start? This is a movie you've been talking about for a while. Just g- give us your overall thoughts. Tell us why this movie is great, in your opinion. Yo, I've been talking about. Portrait of a Lady on Fire since May of 2019. Like, <laughs> I have been talking about this movie. Like, I'm gonna tell you the story real quick. I was, I had got lost on the way to another movie, and I was like, okay, well, Portrait is the last one of the night, so I had to run over to the theater. I got there late. Was this at they a film festival? Let, or this something? was at Cannes. Okay, there you go. This was at Cannes, and so I got there, and I had to sit in the front row dead smack in the middle. It was packed. There was no seats available. And this was 1030 at night. So I was certain, I was like, okay, so this is like, mm, you know, it's a bunch of white people and I don't, you know, I don't know how interesting this is going to be. It's a period. It's going to be slow, man. By the time the film was over, I was like walking home, talking to myself about the movie. And then I woke up the next day and was like, yelling at my roommate who I was staying with at the time. I was like, yo, you gotta see this freaking movie, yo. And like, (laughs) (laughs) and I have been talking about it ever since. So tell us what was it about the film that really resonated with you? I think it's one of the best films of lesbian representation. Like I identified with the film and I related to the film in all aspects except for you know on a racial level whatever but it was by far the best representation not just of lesbians or women who loved women but women in general and women relationships and friendships and 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 also a lot of people think that portrait is just a romance but it's not it's a film that makes a political statement as well so there's a lot of small hidden gems in this film that's really simple it's a very simple romance and that's something that we don't we don't get we haven't gotten since the days of like you got mail where it's just like a very simple romance film um 
one that's been good anyway. And um, I, I, the cinematography is fantastic. The talent is phenomenal. Um, Celine is obviously a genius writer because holy crap, it's, it's, it's just amazing all around. Like there's nothing, there's no flaw in it to me. That's it. All right. Well, we yeah. have much yeah. more to dive into. Uh, Perfect but... movie. End of story. <laughs> Perfect yes. movie. Period. The end. Uh, which uh, I, I have a lot of uh, trouble disputing at all. So uh, <laughs> all that said, Devinder Hardwar, tell us about your thoughts of Portrait of Lady on Fire. So I'll, t- I'll talk about when I saw this movie, too, because uh, I had the privilege of seeing it when it was showing for like a week here in New York. And I know I think, Valerie, you you had some friends together for like a later screening. But this was I at, paid for like six yeah. tickets at the Angelica. <laughs> and the Angelica is uh, that that's amazing. That's great. But it was going there was such a really interesting experience because it's one of those limited screenings where they like give you surveys to just get advice. Like, how do we promote this movie? How do we talk about it? How do we get people to see this movie? And I have to say, it blew me away there. The Angelica is a theater I don't really go to that often in New York just because uh, I like the vibe of it, but I don't like the fact that it's literally underground and you can hear the subway kind of rattling off near you. Right. But uh, yeah, yeah, that didn't actually matter too much for this movie because, yeah, it blew me away. It was in my top 10 last year and rewatching this movie with my wife, just the the sheer scope of it, the sheer beauty of it. I, I think the romance is fantastic and very moving in terms of what it's showing us. But it's also, I don't think it's like a particularly unique romance story in that respect, but this movie just does so much. It says quite a bit about women's place in the world. Kind of reminds me of uh, Little Women, or at least uh, Greta Gerwig's version of Little Women and the way that story is told, um, showing marriage as a trap, showing these women kind of fighting for some way to stay independent. And sometimes that's not even possible. Hey, both movies actually have burning dresses too. So take that. Yeah, there you, you go. Will. Yeah, there you go. Um, but rewatching this movie too, I don't know, maybe it was the projection uh, at the, at the Angelica. Maybe it wasn't super bright, but watching it at home, like on my TV, I was also struck just by the use of light in this movie. This movie looks phenomenal. It has both a really wonderful use of like darkness and light at some points. And there, there are several shots where like you just see a very bright image surrounded a very dark scene. So much of this movie is very painterly. I really appreciate the, uh, the actual mechanics of seeing somebody try to paint a portrait like this too. Um, I thought that all came together really well. And the scope of this movie, just some shots look like it's straight out of star Wars. And it's kind of astounding to me. Like, like um, our two main characters standing by the cliffs or by the beach, Looks like, you know, something you'd see in a big adventure movie. But no, it's it's using the scope of that sort of to- storytelling to tell a very, you know, small, intimate story. So, yeah, I love this movie. It's a movie filled with longing gazes. And it's a movie about the power of gazes and the power of looking at somebody and the power of capturing an image and what that means. There's just so much going on here. I love the silence in this movie, too, because there's there's some great sound design, but also there are moments where characters are just having very halted conversations with each other. And I found myself not like not breathing as I was waiting for them to reply, even when I knew what they were going to say. It's kind of a movie that holds me that tightly. So yeah, still love it. Uh, I love that it's available on Hulu for everybody to see now. Because the talent is so good. 
So that good. You could read the body language without <laughs> having to have the words. Yes. And also, like, I tried to get, like, I tried to advocate for IMAX screening. That didn't happen. Oh, man. <laughs> but could you imagine that on an IMAX screen? Oh, my God. I want this on the biggest screen possible. Yeah. Uh, one of the great things about the body language, too, is um, it, there is a, a scene in the movie. It's, it's very, I, don't, I don't think this is a spoiler, but there's a scene in the movie when the characters are describing their own body language to each other and what they observe <laughs> about it. And that's, that's at that moment in the movie, I realized that the entire movie, we had been kind of learning who these characters were through a variety of methods, one of which was through their body language. And you realize how much these actors had to put into these performances to make it feel like these mannerisms they had uh, were just a part of the character, you know? And, and it's, a, it's Dave, it, I think you're understating it. Mm -hmm. It is an extraordinary scene. It is a, a, a magnificent bit of acting yes. to sit, to sit in on a shot. I think most of that scene is a two shot because most of the movie is a two shot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you have one character saying what the other character is doing. Yes. So you have an you have an actress who has looked at a script and the line says you always move your eyebrows when you're uncomfortable. Yeah. And they have to make that moment happen the moment before that line is delivered by a different actor but do it in a way that is completely natural and feels completely motivated by so they're dictating a a physical tick a yeah. mannerism that has to feel absolutely authentic and not forced in a moment where you don't get a prep you you're in the context of this long two shot it is it's an extraordinary scene and it is so exquisitely beautiful because it is vulnerable and it is honest, and it is completely manufactured by these two actors. It's it's amazing. Yeah, yeah, and not only that, but like what I'm saying is also that character had to do that throughout the entire film, right? right. And express it had those to be tiny fundamental yeah, part. It of, had to be a part of, of they, their of their being in a way, and and yeah. they did it. They pulled it off. But Jeff, you know, let, let's get to what your overall thoughts were on this movie, Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Well, Dave, <laughs> I guess you could say. Uh, my thoughts about Portrait of a Lady on Fire are best summed up in the form of a limerick. Maybe we should explain the whole limerick thing to Valerie because she wasn't here last time we did the limerick. Oh, so, yeah, Valerie, see, uh, Dave <laughs> has mandated, uh, under penalty of being thrown off the show, that I have to deliver a limerick every review. And I I bristled. I tried to rebel, but he is a, a stern taskmaster and rules with an iron fist. So... <laughs> He said either I walk or he walks or I do a limerick. So so we find ourselves with a limerick every I every, listen, every I don't week, want to do every it. week, man. I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it, but here we are. So here's the limerick for Portrait of a Lady on Fire. A movie where basically limerick you know this movie and limericks just go hand in it's, hand. It's basically like an insult to to limerick this movie, but yes, continue. Here we go. Allow me to insult the movie. <laughs> as, as we watch these two women yearn, every moment is beautifully earned. You feel the desire of these ladies on fire, but that fire is a slow burn. Nicely done, Jeffrey. That was nice. Oh, that that's nice. That, that <laughs> yeah. summed up the movie. That's like the log line. 
<laughs> Finally, someone appreciates the Limerickian art forms, you know? The, the, I'm, I'm, I, anyway, I, I really echo everything that has been said um, so far. I, I, first of all, whatever awards need to be given out to the cinematographer of this movie, um, mm-hmm. I don't have the name in front of me because it's hidden behind Claire, the fire. Claire Mathong. Claire Masson, I, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right because I'm is, American trying to pronounce French names. Yeah, but, I'm, um, I'm terrified to try to attempt any of these <laughs> names, to be quite honest with you. Uh, they, are, they are French and no doubt gorgeous on the French tongue, but on mine I will butcher no doubt. Uh, anyway, the cinematography in this movie is extraordinary. It's like watching a series of Vermeers <laughs> over yeah. and over. It's yeah. sculpting with light. Uh, the, the, there are scenes in, in, in particularly the interior scenes that are completely illuminated by like what, what appears to be, you know, fireplaces and sconces and, and all like flickering flame um, like that, that was the first, like the very first shot, if we're talking about the same one, the very first shot after the painter arrives in the house yeah. and it's like getting settled and is sitting in, sitting in front of the fireplace in between oh, that one. But there's like, there's scenes where they're just sitting in the kitchen and you just have a close up of their face and there's this warm mm-hmm. glowing light that, that sculpts them in place. It looks to me like a Vermeer. It looks like a, a beautiful, warm painting. I mean, obviously artistry and painting is, is a central motif in the movie. And, and I am shocked at how well the cinematography accentuates that fact. It, it's, it, it's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful movie on a purely visual level. And I, you know, I was going on at length about that scene with these two actresses. I think these are two of the finest screen performances in a film I've seen in quite a long time. It, uh, it, no, Noemi Merlin. And Adele Hainel. Thank you so much. And um, Lu, Lu, Luana, the, the one that played so- Sophie. Yeah, Luana. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, all three yes, of them. All three of them. I mean, this is very much. It's almost a two-hander uh, or a three-hander. It is a. It's. It's almost a play, uh, yeah. which I love that are basically plays anyway. Uh, you know, very few locations, uh, very few actors. It is a. A, a a small movie, but feels large. Um, but yeah, the, the performances across the board for these these women whose names I'm not going to attempt it after hearing you do such a good <laughs> job. Um, but they they are exquisite. They are uh, the performances are really something. And, and we the movie lives and dies on the performances. It really does. For as beautiful a film as it is uh, cinematically, um, you know, from a photography point of view. We linger on these faces, as you guys said. It's a movie about furtive looks and long gazes, and we we linger with these women. And it, it is so much is expressed so in such small ways, and and nothing feels ham fisted, nothing feels forced, everything feels earned. I recall, I mean, this movie in a lot of ways feels to me like uh, almost a. Um, you know, a, a, not a companion piece, but a, but a, a different version of "Call Me by Your Name," right? Movies oh that God, have, no! <laughs> don't do it. Well, don't they, they go are very there. Similar, but yeah. All right, hold on. Yeah, because yep. they got they got gays in it. No, they are two different films. Trust <laughs> well, me. Okay, I I will not I will not 
uh, I will not doubt that they are different movies. I'm not saying that. I mean, the, the character, movie. you know, the characters are of age in Portrait. You know, they're they're right. different. Well, they're different. It's still it's an interesting comparison, right? Because I feel like Call Me by Your Name is a movie that runs very hot, right? That's a movie uh, really about like very open, expressive passion in many ways, and this one is about like the stuff you really have to just keep inside until you can't anymore. So I think that comparison is interesting. Just the the French versus the Italian. Yeah, version yes, of a romance the, like this, yeah. The point that I was going to make was that both of them feel to me like, or at least my way into them, mm-hmm. um, it was, uh, they feel to me like summer camp movies. Uh, th- that feeling that I had, and I think many people have, of when you go to a place like a summer camp, or you go, you go to a place for a short period of time, mm-hmm. and in both cases, in both of these movies, we have a character who is going to a place for a short period of time and then falls in love there. And it, it, that that feeling of of the ticking clock of the oh my god don't close your eyes because we can't let any second go by because in the morning I have to leave that feeling of of being in this magical not reality this magical place that isn't normal it's it's a it's a summer camp it's it's where you can be anything for a moment and and both movies are about sort of a forbidden feeling. Uh, and, and forbidden people falling in love. Um, but I was, I was going to bring it up to say that that movie call me by your name. Didn't, I I didn't enjoy it very much. Um, because it, 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 to me, it didn't earn the romance the way this movie does. I love how this movie slow plays everything and, and you feel the, the build up to it. And we linger in these long moments. There are so many exquisite, simple moments. Uh, Devendra, you talked about the, the examination of the mechanics of painting mm-hmm. and how, I mean, the movie asks you to look at things differently. And that's such an extraordinary thing to do. I found myself observing faces and characters in a different way because the movie is like, Hey, look at things differently. Uh, you know, there, there's, there are a lot of just simple little moments that gain incredible power and resonance because the movie takes its time. There's that extraordinary sequence, uh, where we get the title of the movie at a, at a, uh, a sort of a campfire where this song happens and I found, and the song is so powerful and so moving and, and it sort of takes over the movie for a second. And I don't remember there being music really in the movie and other places, but it's like this, it's crescendos in this incredible song. I mean, I I really, I really thought this movie was quite something. I mean, there's no, there's no musical score, but I'm like, it doesn't need it. I could, I could, when I picture it with a musical score, it would just sort of blow out any of the silence and any of the calm that comes with the film. I think Mm -hmm. the sound design is great, but as far as the score, doesn't need it. And I feel like by the time we get to you know, the part that comes after the bonfire, if because at that point in the theater, when I was sitting at Cannes, I was like, okay, so if they don't do this, I'm going to scream. And then <laughs> when they, you know, when they did what they had to do, then it didn't stop happening. So I was like, okay, well, this is what I asked for. And thank you so much. And it came, like, it wasn't like one of those things where, um, you know, it just sort of comes out of nowhere. You know, like you said, it's an earned thing. Um, right. And I, and I asked, feel like in Call Me By Your Name, it kind of did. 
and, I, and I'm sorry to keep com- comparing the movies, but I, that's one of the things I found so unsatisfying about that movie is that I never was like, please get together, please get together, please get together. And this movie creates that sensation of like, kiss her, kiss her. I want, all I want yeah. is for you to kiss her. You know, it, it, it is a wonderful build up, and the mm-hmm. and you know, it's that <laughs> it's that DJ going, da na 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 na. You know what I mean? Well, that's uh, why I, I love the the cut after the end of the bonfire sequence too, because it's so like it's cut straight to them on the beach, right? Together in veils, and it's so like I knew it was coming. I've seen this movie before, but every time it happens, it's just like whoa, I am I'm almost being thrust into a new world here. Also, the thing about the singing scene, like it's really it's women lifting each other's voices to create this melody. Like that that's it. That's the movie. You know, and, and there's something else I can mention in spoilers. It's basically the movie. But I love when a movie has all these little little bits there are just so thematically resonant. It is time now for me to tell you about our sponsor, Hunt a Killer. And hey, we're all staying in. We're all doing our part, staying home during quarantine. And there's only so many movies and TV shows you can watch before you want to do something else, exercise your brain. And what perfect time to have Hunt a Killer as a sponsor because I have thoroughly enjoyed the experience of playing Hunt a Killer with my wife. You can play it solo. Hunt a Killer is a great night in. It is a murder mystery in a box, a subscription to an ongoing story told in episodes that you get in a little box that lets you unravel this larger tale and solve puzzles and start to put together a murder mystery. It's so cool. It's it's really a new way to interact with murder mysteries because you go from being a viewer to be an investigator, actively involved in solving the case, using your mind. Instead of just sitting there passively on the couch watching great television, which I know we're all doing a lot of right now, You're actually exercising your brain. You're working together with your loved one, your spouse, whatever, or you're doing it by yourself. The latest season starts with a famous actress from the 1930s in her family's theater and the board of directors are trying to push her out and you will actually help solve the cold case investigation before it's too late. It's awesome. So basically what happens is you get a box and with each delivery, you you get through documents and evidence and audio recordings and case files and you sort through it and you try to piece together the mystery. It's simple to play, whether you're solo or the family or friends. You can even play over like Zoom or Skype or FaceTime. You can set it up so that you have, uh, you know, more brains working on the problem with your friends. It's a great way to relate to people and work on something communal over long distances as we're all sheltered in place. It's great. Plus, part of the proceeds for every box goes to the Cold Case Foundation, an organization that is dedicated to helping real-life cold cases. So that's pretty cool too. So my wife and I have found a a lot of fun in tearing through these and working together and, and working on them. And right now, just for listeners of the Slash Filmcast, you can go to huntakiller.com slash filmcast and use promo code filmcast at checkout and get yourself 20% off your first box. Head to huntakiller.com slash filmcast for 20% off and show support for the podcast. Again, that's huntakiller, H-U-N-T-A-K-I-L-L-E-R.com slash filmcast, F-I-L-M-C-A-S-T, 
all one word. Can we get can we get to the spoilers? Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, there's just so well, much Dave, to say. Dave yeah, yeah. Let's let's get, spo- let's get the spoilers. Let's get the spoilers. Let's get the spoilers. We can talk more about uh, everything, including my thoughts on it. So spoilers for Portrait of a Lady uh, on Fire starting right now. Now you're looking for the secret. Can I see this coming? No. But you won't find it because, of course, you're not going to see this coming. You're not really looking. I have been puzzling over how it works. You don't really want to work it out. Who's in the box? I have been dying to tell you. I want to tell you my secret now. You want to be fooled. So uh, what do you want to talk about, Valerie? Is there anything specific you want to mention okay. towards the end of the film? Well, going going back to the scene on the beach that cuts from the bonfire to the beach, like having spoken with Celine and watching other interviews, the way that she describes the scene in particular is really like it's so powerful because the way she describes it as the veils are forms of consent. And once they pull down the veils, they're consenting to this thing. And so once the veils are off and they kiss, it's like that's a form of consent. And I was like, wow, that is that is some powerful shit. <laughs> um, so um, it's like these two women are doing everything on their terms and the body language and the chemistry is so strong that they have this moment where there's an equal attraction and they both realize that it's time to start making out. So, um, so when she mentioned that as a form of consent, I was like, damn, that's some powerful shit right there. Now it was just, it, it, it just didn't, you know, so you don't see that scene as them just making out and getting together. It is a process. There is c- consent there that is happening, um, you know, before they even kiss or whatever. So that that's really, I mean, I've been in discussions with about every scene with all kinds of people. So, yeah, that's just one mm-hmm. of the details that I that I learned. That's great. That's great. Uh, it's also interesting to see kind of this movie become memed after um, uh, the COVID-19 thing, because like <laughs> the fact that they're wearing facial <laughs> coverings uh, really does make it prescient. Um, but yeah, that was a great scene. And uh, so my overall thoughts on the movie, I really enjoyed this movie as much as y'all did. Uh, I think it's a masterpiece. It was one of my top 10, top five movies of 2019. Um the thing that's interesting about the movie to me, there's, there's two things. One is that, in my opinion, it's a movie about the um, how women survive and thrive uh, while living under the influence of men. There's virtually no men in this entire film. I think the only men that you see are at the beginning when she's in the boat – um, and yeah. the useless she's going guys. Through, yeah. She's going through that whole ordeal to get this paint, and then it's kind of hilarious because she's walking, and the guy just he DGAF. He just throws down the the canvas on the ground. He's like, okay, I'm done, and he just kind of yeah. walks away. Just climb um, that cliff. And yeah. uh, and then the uh, there's I think there is a uh, gentleman at the end who kind of misses another uh, porter. Um, I'm is sorry, it what? another guy? I can't tell because no, yeah, it's, it's the same guy. Same it's guy. the same dude. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah, no, but, but I was talking about like, I was talking about the guy at the end in the gallery. Like, there's another guy in the yes. gallery. But, oh yeah, but, yeah, and then there's people at the yeah. Yeah, there's people at the gallery. And there's but, guys but, then. That end shot felt like oh, here's where the budget of the movie went. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Four hundred people in period dress in a room. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, but it was also like a callback to reality, right? Like yeah. we're no longer at that house. This yeah. is the real world. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. So, but uh, to me, it's about how um, these women, you know, need to like they have this bond, uh, and they're they're surviving in a male dominated world where their autonomy and their uh, uh, some portion of their financial freedom. Um, and in, to some degree, their bodies, like they don't have control of them because of the, the influence of men and, um, and how like the, the relationships that form in spite of those things um, and that come to uh, be a way to counteract those things. Because even though there's no men in this movie, you feel the influence of men and the fact that um, that's the reason she's there to paint the portrait and like the portrait is going to be the vehicle by which you know, these characters are separated and that's uh, why they're all doing what they're doing. Every single ca- like every single woman in that movie, basically. Yeah. And uh, yeah. the character yeah. of uh, Sophie as well, you know, who starts out as kind of the side character that I didn't think we would know anything about. But then she has her own struggle and tries to kind of mm-hmm. induce an abortion with the help of these women. And uh, w- that that Man, all that supplo- stuff was so powerful. Yeah. Wow. That, whole, that so. subplot was really interesting because. There's so little discussion of it, you know. It's just like they all understand this is what we need to do. We're going to help this person out, and they just accept that this is like the best way to proceed. And um, I think as the viewer, uh, you are in a position where you're hard pressed to disagree with uh, what they're doing. And so, I think that um, th- that's one component of the movie that really uh, I thought was very powerful is that you there, there's no men in this movie, but at the same time, like the inf- the kind of terrifying destructive influence of men can be felt throughout and so that's one component that i i really appreciated the other thing of course that you you have all touched upon is um that this movie is very much about desire and uh i think that the way it captures desire through uh the acting and uh through the cinematography i just think is really powerful so i think it's Mm -hmm. an amazing movie and uh yeah it's it's Can really – I'd seen – this is my second time watching it on Hulu this time, and it still floored me, second time. I, I knew everything that was going to happen, and it still really got to me, um, particularly the last shot, which we can talk about. But uh, Well, yeah. I, I will uh, I will be, say the unpopular thing here. Uh, I'm sure you guys will all hate me, is uh, <laughs> I, I found myself feeling that we didn't need that last shot. I felt like uh, – Seeing the seeing oh the Jeff paint. oh okay. Jeff okay just let me finish and I will finish <laughs> yep, and then we yep. can, let Jeff uh, finish and then me. we can take it down yep. uh, so uh, <laughs> the if the we see the painting and we see the finger on the page for me for me that was the more poignant end mm. uh, not seeing her again it felt like I saw her one more time oh also I saw her again another time just felt like a hat on a hat to mm-hmm. me and I understand mm-hmm. that it was a very it's an extraordinary shot. It's an extraordinary piece of acting in that moment. And you see this devastating thing. But to me, and I know it will be uh, very unpopular here, but um, <laughs> I, it felt like a hat on a hat. It, 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 didn't, it didn't add anything to me. The, 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 the idea of her only seeing her again in the painting f- felt like a bigger wallop to me than, mm. than the wallop of seeing her in, in pain uh, watching art. Well, I think well, that's not really in pain, though. Is that pain, though? You know, it's it's you see, and this is like, let me tell you something. Adele Haynell, who's the actress, she went on a a journey, in that two minutes, and it goes from like sadness to, you know, when they're with there's the scene, there's a couple of scenes before that where they're in bed together, and um, 
uh, Marianne, who's brunette, and Heloise who's blind, and Marianne tells Heloise, you know, don't regret, remember. And we see Heloise crying and going through that process. So I don't think it's a terribly, I don't think it's like a painful thing. I think it's just what we go through when we have certain memories and we remember things. And remember, like, a lot of people are like, oh, you know, it sucks that they didn't end up together. And I get it because a lot of um, queer films are, and tragically where people die or they just don't end up together. And this kind of, and a lot of people would say that it goes into that category, but it's, the ending is to, to be poetic. Um, it's to sort of uh, bring everything full circle and say, okay, so Marianne doesn't say anything to Heloise because she's making the poet's choice or whatever, um, which is all connected to uh, the the story of um, Orpheus and Eurydice, but, you know, that's another discussion. But um, I think the ending is important, at least to me. I mean, I can see why you said the page 28 thing, because... When I was in the theater at Cannes, people literally gasped. They it's were like, amazing. <gasps> yeah, it, that oh, hit me like I, a ton like, of bricks. That 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 moment, say, the saying explicitly, "I saw her again," and what that means is, I saw a painting of her. To me, packed a bigger wallop. And then when we pan down and see her yeah. giving this coded message, uh, it, it is it, 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 for me that was. That was the denouement. That was the but, the most powerful ending you could come up with. And then we, get, to me, it would felt like nothing. It didn't add any more emotional weight for me, the me personally, to see it again. It just felt like, oh, I already had my catharsis. But I think you need. I think what's important is to see that differently because Marianne talks about, oh, you know, I saw her, and then in this scene. Heloise is the one that gets to see Marianne again, but not in the literal sense. It's through the music and the memories that she gets to see her. So they both have their, they both have their mm. moments. It's just one is with the page 28 painting and the other is with the music. I also, so I, I really appreciate the final shot, by the way, just because it's, uh, it is loud. It is mm. bold in the way I think most of the movie really isn't right. Even when they're in the midst of their affair, like it's, we get some, you know, really steamy kissing scenes, but this is full orchestra. This is, you know, the sound and fury of that orchestra. Well, it, this it's is Chekhov's, in, it's Chekhov's yeah. uh, Vivaldi's Four Seasons, you know? Yeah. And it, Just going, it, it, yeah. They seeded it early in the movie when she plays it on the harpsichord, and mm -hmm. now it's right. coming back full force in a really yeah. compelling way. I, I think. Yeah, the power of that scene just in terms of like the what you're hearing what you're feeling because yeah you haven't felt much music in this movie aside from the women singing and that one you know yeah that one scene with them actually playing uh was it the harpsichord uh but it's to, it's that full thing it is full catharsis in a way that this movie is like okay just cry just cry <laughs> right now because you've been holding it in for two hours mm. I think one of the things that there's so many little touches, little moments about this movie mm -hmm. I appreciate. One of them is, uh, as we're talking about it, you know, I just re I just made the realization that there's a couple times in the movie when uh, the char the painter character, uh, whose name I'm going to Marianne, Marianne, right? When Marianne looks at a portrait of uh, Heloise and is startled by it, right? The first mm -hmm. time that occurs is when she looks at the portrait and there's no head um, because the painter couldn't finish it. It's like a very startling moment of 
uh, because it looks kind of frightening in it's a way spooky. that this character has it's, no face. It's spooky right? and gothic yeah. in the way that this movie kind of seeds all around. But, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And then going. the second time she's startled is uh, when she sees the portrait of her and she has a child, you know, and she's she's startled yeah. by the fact that like, oh, this character has gone on this whole other journey in the time since I've known it's, her. It's um, uh, it, it's an what nineteenth century uh, searching up your old love on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> oh crap! Yeah, she's oh, got a no. kid now. Oh man, that's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> well, because I think that I think she kind of I think Marianne kind of felt like oh you know she's moved <laughs> on maybe she forgot about me yeah. and then she looked down and saw that you know she was looking for she was looking for a message she was looking for something in that picture and then when she saw the page twenty eight. It was like, damn, it was like gut punch because it's like sure. all these years later, you got a husband and a kid and you're still thinking about this lady you met years ago. Like, yeah. that's that's deep. I want to I want to hear the conversation I, I that I want to hear the conversation that Heloise had with the, the painter for that uh, pose, like posing for that painter. <laughs> like, hey, um, I need it's super important. You need to write 28 <laughs> in the painting. My husband yeah. really is really. Into it's the just number so important yeah. that you put the number 28 clearly legible in the painting. Um, like but, I no, have she's this like, book. She's like, can I can I borrow your brush for one quick second? <laughs> just one, I just want to make one quick change here. Otherwise, you're, you're doing great. You're doing great. Um, and I think that that was very that was like a powerful confirmation, especially if you talk to like other queer women specifically. You know, they they you know they it was a moment that they really appreciated because you like to know that there's a love there because a lot of these narratives that happen with women who love women, it's like. Man, they they it's it's usually the same kind of story. It's a woman who is involved with a man but loves another woman. Or if we're talking about French history, um, it's like two women in Versailles. And I've talked to Celine Siama about this. Um, what makes the story unconventional um is that it's not, you know, how did you know how did the director discover or figure out, okay, so I want this to be about a painter and an ex-nun. Mm-hmm. And they're both possibly lesbians, but we don't figure that out to the end because they still like have this longing for each other. Like, you know, it's just little things like that that people interpret in their own way um, that make people appreciate the film a lot more, especially within the queer community, especially among women and non-binary folks. Um it's it's a film that's been very impactful. Trust me, I am in a group where people talk about it every day, and um, <laughs> and how they love the actresses and the director. It, it's it's a movie that's more than just the sum of its parts. Like it's a movement, and that's why um, you know there's like a whole group, the portrait. They call themselves the Portrait Nation. Actually, I named that the Portrait Nation, but <laughs> just giving myself a shout out. You know they. They are very loyal to anything that has to do with the film. There's fan art. Like when I did a Q&A with Celine Siaman at the at the um, at the Angelica on Valentine's Day, like people brought gifts. You would think this woman was Jesus Christ with the way that they were showering her <laughs> with gifts. Like and it was it was a crowd mostly full of queer women and non-binary folks like it was it was powerful to see and you know the biggest i think the biggest um one of you know blue is the warmest color is like one of the Mm -hmm. big queer films out of france i think that movie is a hot mess um 
For many reasons, yeah. 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 And, you know, people in France didn't really take to Portrait of a Lady on Fire until later. But the first weekend it came out and didn't do well financially. Actually, Woody Allen's movie did a lot better. Um, What was that? Sometimes in Manhattan, whatever his latest movie was, was doing a lot better at the time um, than Portrait of a Lady on Fire because, you know, people didn't find a romance between two women where they weren't showing TNA very interesting. Um, And they felt that it didn't have a political point to it. Well, it was like, oh, it's just a regular romance between two lesbians who don't show any cleavage. Who cares? and that's really unfortunate because it, Portrait of a Lady on Fire is a very huge political film. Because not only do you feel the weight of patriarchy without having to see these men, but the women form their own their own sort of uh, microcosm society where they yeah. are all equal. Because, you know, there's a particular scene where they're in front of the fire and Sophie's like Sophie who's the maid is sewing while the aristocrat is cooking yeah. and the painter who's been hired is drinking and like look and you know it's like they're all on an equal level playing field and I really appreciate how Sophie the maid was given her own story her own autonomy and she wasn't like this dumb kid she was mm-hmm. a smart young woman who had her own thoughts and ideals and had a support group. Um, Cause you know, the women didn't ostracize her and say, Oh my God, I can't believe you got pregnant. You're so stupid or whatever. They didn't say anything. They just went with her. Yeah. Uh, Heloise has like a throwaway line almost where she says equality is a pleasant feeling when uh, Marianne was asking her about being in a convent. Right. And it's like, Oh, that, that would make sense. That yeah. is a sort of like, it's a place you can go where you don't have to fight against all these things where you don't have to worry about being married off to somebody who you don't know, you know, because your sister died. Yeah. Um, also, all you, the know, you know, Sophie is smart yeah. because at the beginning of the film, a character, she's asked, how do you know that uh, Heloise's sister killed herself? Mm-hmm. And she says, because she didn't cry out when she fell over the edge. Yeah. And I, when I yeah. saw that, I was, I thought to myself, you know, I don't know if I would have ever figured that out if that was me in that situation. <laughs> so yeah. uh, I think she... Uh, little, little it, things like that. Yeah, little little tiny touches like that. Mm-hmm. One of the... Even even Heloise's mother, by the way, like I love that when they're sitting talking about her own portrait that showed up or that is at her house, it kind of, she, she talks about like it's a creature that arrived at her house waiting for her, you know, like this, this weird entity, this weird vision that her husband had of her that she didn't realize. And that thing is basically the thing you know controlling her life that's her marriage right there well yeah her mom didn't see her mom didn't seem happy about it she seemed pretty bitter yeah she's pretty bitter she's like oh i I met this thing and oh this is my life now this is my prison yeah Mm. so uh shout out to valeria galino by the way uh who plays uh eloise's mother um, so good. Yeah. Yeah. She, uh, I, I, I think the first thing I ever saw her was uh, in was maybe like Rain Man or Hot Shots. Uh, but it's nice to see her <laughs> in a, uh, yeah, a yeah. better role than in those movies, in my opinion. Um, the uh, one thing, I, one filmmaking technique I want to give a shout out to in this movie is smash cuts. A lot of smash cuts in this mm-hmm. movie. And I would say probably the one I remember the most is uh, towards the end when. Uh, they're finally Marianne's finally saying goodbye, and she gives the mother a hug, and then she gives uh, uh, Eloise a hug, and like kind of 
but it's not really a hug. She's kind of like gives her a little kiss on the neck and then just mm, cut to her walking down the stairs. So, and there's yeah. many of those moments throughout the whole film where you're in this moment that's super intense and then just mm, cut to another thing that's happening right away. And it really kind of jolts you. Um, but it, it there's to a me, pretty, yeah, Dave, there's a pretty memorable smash cut of an armpit. Uh, that's true. That's true. Yep. Uh, and, and it, 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 it's kind of, um, for me, the net effect of the smash cuts is, uh, it, feels to me like how one would actually remember th- remember things you know like when you remember things you often it's doesn't things don't play out with like a beginning middle and end you often remember like mm-hmm. moments sometimes in quick succession yeah. you, you're and, thinking of like the west wing style how they go back to flashbacks you know similar that's what i think of when i think of yeah memories in film uh you, i also so you, really um, love two things yeah what do you think she put under her armpit uh, there's 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 different theories some people say opium <laughs> Others say, what did they say? Opium? Then they said belladonna. And then somebody said some kind of weed plant, poppy weed weed plant or whatever. What do you guys think? I don't know enough about drugs to be able to answer that. (laughs) 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 Yeah, this is one I don't have a fan theory on, sadly. (laughs) Um, Next question. Do you think Sophie knew what was happening between the two of them? Most definitely. I do. I do. I think Sophie definitely did. I don't think the mom did. But I think yeah. I think so. Oh no, no, no! I'm yeah. like, why are you guys crying so much? She's just a painter. Come on. <laughs> and see, but see, this is why Sophie is the real MVP yeah. because she could have easily just ratted them out. Right. But they <laughs> had this yeah. friendship that was so tight that she was like, "I'm gonna let them live." Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. So lives. Sophie's embroidery also captures the entire theme of the movie, right? Uh, because she starts out, you know, uh, embroidering this like very perfect bouquet. By the end, all the flowers are dead, but she has this perfect memory of what the bouquet well, looked like. And that's what she recreates. And that, that is, that's creating a portrait, right? Well and said, I think well that, said. I think a lot of that has to do with like the clock. As soon as they kiss on that beach, the clock is mm-hmm. ticking. Yes. Right. And, mm-hmm. as soon and they as both they say that in, they both say, they both say we wasted so much time. Yeah. And Heloise runs off. Because now that they've kissed, it's made the whole situation real. You know, it's not just living in the fantasy. But then when Marianne starts having these visions, it's almost like, um, how, how, how would I explain it? It's, it's, it's pretty much letting her know that this whole thing is finite and it will yeah. come to yeah. an end at some point. Um, and I think that that's a lot of where some of the, the longing and all that stuff comes in because we know that it's they're not going to end up together. But I think in this case where it's not like, you know, where one of them dies or whatever, you know, it's, first of all, the film's not tropey to me by any means. Um, especially we talk about, uh, queer film tropes. Um, it doesn't have any of those. Deserves a tropey. (laughs) Sorry. The what? (laughs) Sorry. Please ignore him. Please ignore him. Yeah. Continue. (laughs) What did you, no, no, what did you say? He said, I said it deserves, it deserves a tropey. We all agree. Yes. Well, I see what you, okay. I was like, (laughs) (laughs) no, you had the right, you had the correct reaction the first time. Anyway, continue. Okay. Cause I was, cause you know, it's not really tropey. And, um, but I feel like the ending is the most realistic of any queer film that I've seen. Mm -hmm. Um, because I mean, what are the two women with no money and no jobs going to do together? Think people, I know there, you know, people want hope, but I think Celine Siam was trying to make something as 
realistic as possible, um, as close to reality as possible. And I also give her, give the writing credit because the narrator, who is Marianne, is actually a narrator that we come to actually trust. And we like believe what she says. She's pretty reliable as a narrator. At least it feels like it. I don't know if you agree, but. What yeah. uh, narration are you referring to specifically? Well, this is this story is told from Marianne's point of view. Yeah, I mean, she has voiceover. It's yeah, kind of hard because right. it's so, subtitled. In the but... beginning, you know, her students are asking her, where's that painting come from? Yeah. So she's telling them this story. Yeah. And so when you talk about the smash cuts, that's because these are memories. Yep. That she's telling I, her students. I loved uh, I loved the the shot of her in that white dress that would haunt her in the hallway. And then we see the payoff at the, at yep. the very end. Um, and it, I particularly loved how that was accomplished. It very much felt to me like a practical effect, like something that you would see done in the 19th century on stage, like to depict a ghost or something mm -hmm. that, you know, very much felt like a mirror, uh, effect like th that was done practically. I don't, I don't know for sure that it was, but it certainly felt that way. And it, I thought that was a beautiful image and beautiful methodology. If, if that's the way they did it, because it, it resonated with me and, and, and the way that pays off with that last shot of her saying, Hey, turn around. And then just seeing that then smash cut to black was pretty great. Yeah. But yeah. see Devendra, here we are again with me talking about Greek tragedy. Influence. Oh yeah. You're so good. <laughs> well, you keep choosing these movies, Valerie. So because, there you go. So here we are again. And now that I finally have my website, I think I'm going to finally <laughs> like start writing about this stuff. Um, because having interviewed Celine and, and spoken to her, that actually came last, believe it or not. The, the connection uh, the... to Eurydice and, and Orpheus, that came last. And it was just sort of, it just helped sort of with the connective tissue of the story. Um, but Greek tragedies, I'm telling you, people are pulling from it because those are stories that are timeless and they are so, a lot, a lot of them are really, really good and they hold up mm -hmm. and you can take them and they're, you know, their public domain and you can transform it and make it to whatever you want. And they're among our first recorded stories too, right? Yeah. Right. So there, there is a power to them. Yeah. All right. Well, I think, uh, that is going to bring us to the end of our conversation, but Valerie, I, I'm willing to give you the last word. Anything else you want to say about portrait of a lady on fire? Yo, um, I saw, I've seen this movie at least 40 times. Oh, <laughs> wow. Yeah. yeah. I have watched it. And every single time I have watched it, I have discovered something new. It never gets old. It is probably my number two favorite film ever. Well, we got to ask you what number one is, Valerie. I'm sorry. Moonlight. Okay. Yeah. Moonlight. Brilliant. But it is my number two because I relate to Moonlight on another level. But this is like number two because it's it has everything. It has lesbians. It has <laughs> women, and like the female gaze is really important here. Um, and that was something that along the press tour they talked about a lot because people were acting like the female gaze was something that they just discovered in 2019. Uh, no. If you like hired more women than you would see and women have been raising the bar for the last three years with the things they've been directing, uh, Patty Jenkins, uh, Amaharo, um, uh, I forgot the name of the director of Hustlers, but you can Lorraine watch Scavaria. and 
Right. And, and, and Kathy Yan, um, with, uh, birds of prey, with birds of prey, like you can just tell from the direction and the writing that these are films written by women for women and for everyone else. Um, and the female gaze is, is so important because it brings a level of legitimacy, at least for me, to films. Like, I can watch certain films and say, ah, you know, that's um, um, that's great, you know, but that's not realistic. Like, when you watch a Luc Besson film, you know, it's super male gazy and not realistic at all. You don't believe the characters that he picked and the actors. You don't believe any. Valerie, you don't think Rihanna dancing in sexy outfits for five minutes is male gazy? Come on. Actually, that's the best part of that movie. <laughs> it, it's one of many good parts, but yeah, it's also rough because it's Luke Besson. Um, I'm sorry you don't now. feel like the fifth element is as grounded as I think it is, but anyway. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> in any case, um, uh, yeah. You know, I just, I think it's very important. It sets the bar women have set the bar really high and it's like, now you can't ignore the, you know, women and directors because they are putting out the good films. Most most of them are putting out a lot of the good films. Um, Portrait of the Lady on Fire is just a very important film. Um, And it has, it talks about a lot of different topics, not just love, but, politics and patriarchy and female gaze and art and women's status like you could just like it's like a list of things and when you watch it as many times as i have you discover all of these different things um so yeah i'm i'm gonna i could go on and on so i'm 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 gonna end there all right well uh we appreciate you being here to share your opinion with us and uh, it, it is a great work of art that should be watched by as many people as possible. It's streaming right now on Hulu. That's our review of Portrait of a Lady on Fire. That's going to bring us to the end of this week's episode of the Slash Filmcast. You can find more episodes of this podcast at SlashFilmcast.com. Email us at SlashFilmcast at gmail.com. Our theme song comes from AdamWarrock.com. Our spoiler bumper comes from filmmaker Kyle Hillinger. This episode was edited by Beatty Zhang. Until next week, stay tuned to what we'll be discussing, but... Valerie Complex, where can people find more of your work on the internet? Uh, yeah, you can uh, check me out on Twitter um, at Valerie Complex, V-A-L-E-R-I-E-C-O-M-P-L-E-X. And I'm also Valerie underscore Complex on Instagram. And my website is ValerieComplex.com. You can find my work pretty, if you Google me, my work is pretty much everywhere. Um, Collider, Playlist, Variety, The Hollywood Reporter, um, Mary Sue. I mean, I've written all over the place. All right. Uh, check out her work. Devendra Hardware, where can you find more of your work? Oh, you can find me on Twitter at, at Devendra. I write about tech at Engadget.com. And also check me out co-hosting the Engadget podcast. Uh, it's been going on for a couple months now. Jeff Kanata. Well, I got I got a lot more projects to tell you about, folks. I, I, you can follow me on Twitter at Jeff Kanata, which is spelled with two N's and one T. I have a video game podcast called DLC that you can find at 5x5.tv slash DLC. I do a live play Dungeons & Dragons show called The Dungeon Run that you can find on YouTube or as an audio podcast by searching for The Dungeon Run, either of those places or by watching it live on Wednesday nights at 6 p.m. Pacific time at caffeine.tv slash The Dungeon Run. And I just brought back, along with Anthony Carboni, uh, a show we did for four years, won awards. It's a comedy science show called We Have Concerns. And right. 
first new episode in over two years uh, hit last week. So check that out. Uh, we're, we're doing long-form episodes instead of the short ones we used to do, um, but it's still got some, some comedy. It's still got some stuff you can learn. And uh, the first episode actually starts, or, or excuse me, ends with uh, a really lovely, poignant story from Anthony that I think a lot of people listening to this show would really like. So check out We Have Concerns. And uh, check out the other podcast I do called Culturally Relevant. If you want to hear my thoughts uh, on a variety of topics in pop culture, as well as society at large, and also uh, interviews with interesting filmmakers, writers, and uh, TV people. Okay, next week, now we, we are figuring this out as we go along, so this might change, but currently our plan for next week's episode of the podcast is to review the Netflix docuseries Tiger King. This has been the number one show on Netflix for quite some time, and also it's something that several people have requested. Oh, good Lord, good Lord, <laughs> get ready. Uh, it's the portrait of a lady on fire of uh, docu-series about cats. Yeah, it uh, felt like the natural progression <laughs> from Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Yep. It felt like the natural next thing to talk about on the next episode. We yep. go from Bloodshot to Portrait of a Lady to Tiger King. Yeah, no, <laughs> that's, that, that's the... Oh, don't get me wrong. Listen, Tiger <laughs> King is riveting television. Yeah. But... It's depressing as well. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I agree. It's very depressing. All right. Well, we'll have plenty to discuss uh, next week. Again, the plan might change, but that is the current plan right now. Thanks for listening to the Slash Filmcast. We'll see you next week. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com.